Welcome to No Password Required, a monthly conversation that gives you an up-close and personal look at the world of cybersecurity. Hello and welcome to No Password Required, a podcast dedicated to exploring the minds and personalities that make up the field of cybersecurity. I'm your host, Ernie Ferrasso, and with me as always is Jack Clabby and Pablo Torres. Before we go any further, let's talk about who we have on the show with us today. On the podcast today, we're going to chat with Philip Torrent, the SOC Technical Manager at CompuQuip Cybersecurity. Philip is a natural problem solver who thrives on building things both with and without a keyboard, and he's passionate about welcoming people into the field of cybersecurity. Speaking of welcoming people, Jack Pablo, how are you? Doing awesome. Doing all right. Doing excellent this morning. Uh, Ernie, I got to tell you, so I, I wake up this morning, I go downstairs, and my nine-year-old son says to me, Dad, there was a segment on NPR. He listens to NPR while he's eating his uh, breakfast, which is a tells you a little bit about how my household operates these days. He said there was a segment on NPR about cybersecurity. I was like, I don't want to be scooped by my nine-year-old on cybersecurity. This is my jam. So I stopped and we, you know, listened to it. So NPR got an exclusive uh, with a representative of the White House, and apparently they're working on a, an executive order that's going to, you know, impact how federal government contractors deal with uh, cybersecurity. It has two parts. One part is going to be software protection. So it's going to be if you're developing software products, you have to have them segmented from the Internet during the period of development. So a bunch of other sort of pieces of this about how software is developed safely. And the second is going to be about, you know, how investigations are going to occur of breach events. And it's sort of unclear whether this will be limited to federal government contractors or not, just based on the NPR segment. But the, the way it was pitched was fascinating. It was, it's going to be like the, the NTSB, which is the organization that investigates airline crashes and incidents. And the idea is that closing this gap between the FBI on the one hand, who investigates cybersecurity incidents for prosecution, and portions of Homeland Security that do the protective work or the intelligence work to stop them from happening in the first place. It's going to be an investigative body that then is going to report out, here are the sources and methods that were used by the bad guys, and now we're going to throw it out there for, for everyone to use. So there's a lot in that kind of jam-packed in, and I, I was a little surprised that NPR was the outlet that the White House used to sort of throw this out there, but I, I don't know. It, I, a lot to think about from this. Yeah, I, I think you're right. It's interesting, um, especially – so as, as you probably know, everybody came uh, – last year, the Department of Defense came out with regulations and compliance requirements under their cybersecurity maturity model – compliance or something along those lines. CMMC is the abbreviation. And that was strictly for DOD contractors that had to fit a certain, had to have a certain level of cybersecurity compliance as they went forward. And there was rumor that that was, that they were going to roll that out or or be adopted across the federal, uh, the executive branch of the government. So it looks like this may be tied to that. And then the other part that I find that I think is really cool um, and interesting is that, that NTSB type of uh, role in this in that it's a, an investigative arm to determine, you know, the scope, the 
how it happened, what happened, you know, who, who's involved, and then offering some, you know, recommendations for moving out uh, and, mit- and mitigating and taking the steps. I think that's really interesting. What will be neat will be to see, you know, if that if that does turn out in a thing, and then how does that that play out in the in, in reality? Um, I did like the uh, the the example that we have the NTSB for major transportation accidents, which happen, you know, maybe on a bad year, you know, big, like once or twice a year. Uh, but yet we don't have something for cyber incidents, which seems to happen at least on a daily basis, if not multiple times a day. And so having something like this, I think it's, it's a, it's a good idea to bring this, uh, the whole, I'll call it the whole, I'm going to use cliche terms, the, the whole of government, uh, approach to this is how we can get we can get better at at, at doing this, and I, I think it also provides a good model that um, that people can understand. Uh, that how about this? That an average it's a good, it's a good comparison that that non cyber folks can can understand. If you say the NTSB, they kind of get a night. Oh yeah, they, these are people that come and investigate, you know, plane crashes. Yeah, well, what, who is this, this? The national what the NCSB or whatever they're going to be called? They're going to investigate what happened at the cyber incident. Um, I, I, well, I think you're going to start to get the pushback, though, is when people start saying they're going to use the results and findings of those uh, those investigations for uh, for for your world <laughs> in the legal side of, of you know, uh, oh, somebody's held responsible. Dot, yeah, dot, I'm dot, not sure my clients, there. you know, after a breach event, they have enough reporting obligations. It's, it's pretty amazing if you think about the wheel that applies yeah. to a private company that has to report. I mean, they have regulators now they have ags in some states they have contract counterparties vendors customers um there's any number of reporting obligations additional folks poking around in the systems just going to add cost to this and really what it does i think in the contracting standpoint is it might improve security to some degree but it's going to squeeze out a lot of the the sort of mom and pop players so we saw this i think with FedRAMP with the cloud computing standards that have Mm-hmm. The intent yes. there, to some degree, or a secondary intent, was to create a standard that the industry was going to adopt outside of government contracting. I don't think it's really happened. Maybe it's too early to tell, um, or maybe there are parallel ones that are developing. But I, I love the point of comparing it to the NTSB. Yes, we all know what it is from movies, probably, but in real life, like it, it just doesn't have enough touches on the ball. It's like, you know, NASA sends a couple of rockets up to, you know, to Mars every decade. It's like, you know, calling the Coast Guard. Hey, we have this idea for the Coast Guard. It's going to be like NASA for rivers and onshore patrols, right? You're like, well, not really. It's an entirely different thing that is going to have a lot more responsibilities. <laughs> and I don't know. I mean, Pablo, you're going to be having to spend some time with this new agency if they're going to be looking post-incident. But, you know, what do you think about talking to, talking to a Fed who I guess doesn't have the ability to prosecute a client or a customer, but has the ability to ask for things from them. Referencing back, if I can circle back to the article, it's nobody's job to tell us what happened. And that's specifically referenced in there. Um, how am I going to feel personally as a consultant who is currently working on a government project? I'm going to... <laughs> I'm going to consciously manifest a Fed that can both speak business and tech um, because it, it's difficult to get to get both um, and it, it's normally more challenging to acquire the latter than the former um, and I, I say that because of some interesting insights that the article proposes and it says that 
realistically, when it comes to our national security agency, they aren't monitoring what's happening internally. What's happening is that we have foreign state actors, advanced persistent threats, that are going and getting creative with how they penetrate an organization within the United States. They're not attacking from abroad. They're going to go ahead and rent the space on the cloud via AWS, Amazon Web Services, and they're going to go ahead and execute code from an internal U.S. location to go and breach an internal U.S target. And that's not going to get picked up on the NSA's radar because their focus and their scope is facing out, not inward. And then you go ahead and introduce the, the, the role of the FBI. The FBI isn't proactively looking for these type of attacks or these type of malicious actors. They're responding after the fact, and they're doing their due diligence to find out where it is that it came from. But are they disseminating the facts after with an after-action report? The deep reefs themselves don't really articulate what it is that's happened within the cyber environment itself. And then, further to be said, it, it, it really puts a hindrance on our ability to adapt and pivot to provide a strong, secure infrastructure as a country, as a whole. Um, so I think it's going to be interesting. And um, for, for our listeners, um, the, NTS, the NTSB is the National Transportation Safety Board. And uh, they're inspecting plane wreckages, and they recover black boxes to see if the crash requires a systematic fix. Uh, a cyber NTSB would potentially paw through the code and the data logs to discover the root cause that permitted a successful cyber attack. Uh, there's, there's a lot to be learned. And it's funny. It's like... I guess you could put an NTSB for anything. You think about it, right? If you're a manufacturing company, if you have a problem with a robot arm that breaks your manufacturing line, uh, that could potentially be um, serviceable by other companies that run similar robots, right? So it doesn't have to be, it is something that they're sort of picking up. I guess the idea of cyber is that solar winds was so devastating. And that I think was the hack that, that is being, that's mentioned as the source for this. But solar winds was also, at least from yeah. the public reporting, incredibly sophisticated, persistent, mm -hmm. long-term, potentially foreign-funded, like just extraordinary. And the idea that we're going to set up some rules that are applicable to all federal government contractors to stop that is a little silly. It, it, it doesn't match one-to-one yeah. -one because whatever you, you mandate, if Russian operatives want to get in and they have money and they have nine months, and they're going to get in. Um, having having maybe maybe the idea of the NTSB is at least let's put some uh, let's get the story out if it's a story that is repeatable across or other organizations. But my guess is that in nine yeah. out of ten applications in the real world, it's going to be a a unique story to that company that allowed it to be hacked, and not something that's necessarily shareable. Yeah, and that's where I, I think you're, you're you're scratching along those same lines that that that. that in the solar winds, I'm not even sure there was a like a, a vulnerability. The vulnerability that was exploited wasn't a you know right. a code problem, a vulnerability that they came. In. It was it was one of those you know the phishing attacks. So there wasn't. There's, if we look at it from a uh, from what this, what are we, we're gonna are we gonna default to? It's gonna turn out that the response to all this is called pilot error, right? Is that what it's gonna end up being for for all of these? And which which okay is that? So now we're going we're further beating the drum that yes we know that yeah. people are, are going to be involved and they're going to make mistakes and how do you mitigate that uh, but I think we already we already know that that said I do think there's um, especially in the solar winds is the example and I, there's got to be 
there's going to be you know tomes and tomes of of, of data and and stories written about this one out into the future. Uh, we may never actually see the the actual happening. Um, that'll lead us to figure out kind of what happened. But then there's also side of it with the, uh, you know, what's going to be the cut line. You know, when when does when does this uh, this organization come parachute in, <laughs> and, and you know to do it? Is it is it uh, is does Oldmar make the cut? Does the Oldmar water uh, yeah. water treatment plant make the cut of something that's happening? Does you know do, does uh, uh, does the Pinella, uh, does the the Escambia County uh, uh, ransomware does that make the cut? I think it's interesting. There's more to be learned about it. Um, I do I do know that the the people that are I I, I like to say think of it that people that have their hands on the rudder or have a pretty steady hand anyway. Um, I'd like to think again. <laughs> No, that's right. It's, it's a sober group we're thinking of this, and I think it comes from the right place. I, you just wonder about la- latching on costs to something that's already costly. You have to think about what the benefit's going to be to yes. that. Or... Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that, you, that same type of – you mentioned you know, the, the mom and pop vice, the big uh, – you know, if you're, a, if you're an aviation manufacturer, uh, yeah, you've, you're, you're, you, you've got a lot of uh, – you know, safety things you're already figuring. You, you know, there's not a lot. Or if you're, how about this? And if your airplane is, can, it falls into the, if you're the quote mom and pop uh, aviation folks, your your airplane's classified as experimental, which makes you fa- you know fall outside a lot of uh, those regulations. So where 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 yeah, where's the cut line of uh, of experimental in the the people working with the government? Because yeah, you're gonna get there's how many how many thousands of you know two and three person. Uh, shops are working for the, our government contractors. There's yeah. a lot of them that are, that are whether they're suppliers, uh, they provide limited services. I mean, you know, uh, and now all of a sudden they've got to become compliant. It's it's there's a, they're coming from a good place. Um, I think I think the government is because yeah we got to get somewhere. But in typical, it's going to be uh, it, it, the, it the the devil's in the details and the implementation, and that's not going to be. That could, it's going to put a hurting on a lot of people, especially a lot of people that are coming out of a COVID, uh, a COVID slowdown. <laughs> Add a little. Oh, I thought it was going to get better in twenty one. Yeah, right. You hold my beer. <laughs> I think that that's another thing we've seen too. For the you know a year and a bit ago, when everyone went into work from home mode, the security conversation was about remote work, and remote login, and not printing things through your personal email. Uh, but now we have people returning back to work who are disciplined for remote yeah. work, but, you know, they forget about the stuff that, okay, all my code is really good, uh, but SolarWinds can still get in if there are human agents trying to get in. Well, re- all the remote work security in the world doesn't matter if now you're back in the office and people forget to, you know, do the control L before they, they leave uh, for the day, or if they forget about telegators who go through a secure checkpoint. So I think it's probably worth it for everybody to remind their teams about operational security and, and, and physical and physical access security, as opposed to simply, you know, continuing to worry about remote access and continuing to worry about all the yeah. stuff we were for the last 14 months. It's going to be an interesting speed bump, but I don't think it's going to be the brick wall that we need. Uh, and it, 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 I say that because it comes from top down. Um, we need to engage the primary stakeholders that are part of these organizations, these entities, these conglomerates. We, we have to get them engaged to know that, hey, the bottom line isn't always about making a profitable margin. It's more or less 
creating a model that's going to be sustainable long term that's going to allow you to develop a product that's going to be useful to the consumer to where the consumer can get good use but also safety it doesn't always have to be convenience and i think tweaking that and uh sharing that lesson is is really going to help the implementation integration of this whole initiative because um, at the current moment we can we can give someone a rule book but does that mean that person's going to follow that rule book i don't yeah. think everyone colors them within the lines i i think that's you made an interesting point there Pablo when you were talking about uh, in the past there's there's been this constant you know rush to get things to market you know keep put you know and that and I think in this case when we you, you, you it's I got to get something out there I got to get something out there and what's what we're seeing now is you're seeing these supply chain vulnerability and supply chain risk assessments and a lot of people that were rushing to get things out you know they not that they were cutting corners but they just it was we got to get something out and so we're going to we're in a shortcut here and there and here and there, um, but now it, that that's probably going to uh, come home to roost. And I think you know we had a, a boom time where that was it was okay to to put things out quick, fast, and get it good enough. Uh, but now we're finding that okay, you gotta uh, uh, you actually have to. What if I if I use the uh, the Silicon Valley model of things where I, it's now you actually got to <laughs> produce a product. We were happy. You know, back back in the early you know two thousand, people were investing in vaporware like it was going out of style. And we saw that all kind of implode and fall apart. Now, uh, now it's the same type of thing. I think we're seeing with our supply chains. It's okay. Yeah, we're. It needs to be a a a fully rounded out product. You're gonna have to start seeing that, whether it's software, hardware, et cetera, et cetera. It's not not gonna be the. Hey, just get out. It's cool, man. That's fast. It's all right. I got I got a major investor, man. Do they say man? People. Say I think man? they still say man. Yeah, yeah man. There, there's. That's the worry but, about something that comes out by executive order kind of no matter how thoughtful it is, yeah. is on the day it comes out it's already six months too late uh, or out of date and so you don't want to be setting you can set expectations but it's tough to set standards it's like this is if you're developing software yeah. that's going to be used as part of a federal government contract you have to do things a b and c while you're developing it to protect it from bad guys seeing it or getting in there uh, that's that's a lot, right? And and that may end up not yeah. being the best way to do it. Uh, and so you worry the more specific it gets as to how you're supposed to approach it, the the more it's going to need to be watched and updated, the more it's going to put sort of handcuffs on folks who are developing software to, to, to think it collaboratively and creatively. Um, and, and three, you know, then it becomes, like once you set a standard and you start updating it, it becomes about the standard and not necessarily about what you were putting out there to, to protect in the yeah. first place that's that's uh, i think that's great you know that's exactly right you, you put your head down and they're swimming and they're swimming and the next thing you know they look up and they're way away from shore <laughs> where, where they going? started or where they wanted to be that's right that's exactly <laughs> correct big time gentlemen um very eloquently said to the both of you and um i don't think they could have said it any better an executive order alone isn't going to do this but you know what will at least get the ball rolling us facilitating here on this podcast. No password required. That's right. And with that said, we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, we're going to talk uh, to Philip about his journey from breaking his first computer at 12 years old to becoming a SOC technical manager and cybersecurity expert. Stay tuned. Have an idea for a guest or topic? Send an email to info at nopasswordpodcast.com. All right, welcome back. Our guest is uh, Philip Tarrant, uh, the SOC Technical Manager at CompuQuip. 
a family-owned cybersecurity solutions provider whose mission is to educate businesses of any size or industry to manage cyber risks. Welcome to No Password Required. Thank you. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about your path to, to cybersecurity. Uh, how did you get uh, how'd you get here? Oh, it is a long, twisted tale. Um, so I, I guess probably I got into computers when I was around uh, 10 to 11, somewhere in there. Um, I broke my first computer within four hours of having it. I deleted DOS. Um, I, I had this book that said DOS for Dummies, which obviously I qualified, um, and looked and was like, oh, well, sure, we can delete things. What's this auto-exec bat thing? Oh, we don't need that. Let's get rid of that. Hi, mem.sys? Not needed. So I deleted all that. Uh, I had to track down some people to help me install DOS. That took about four or five days. Um, from there... I kind of, you know, played around, and I remember, like, you know, when my mom got a 386 with the turbo button, you know, um, and from there we uh, we got a 486 and bumped up, and we had Windows 3.1, and I was on IRC a lot when I was like 14, 15, somewhere in there, um, and from there I went and started at a help desk place uh, in town. It was a call center, and um, we were doing Hughes satellite. Uh, back then it was dial-up and then it would return down to the satellite um, then I got put on the beta project for us to do the two-way communication um, and that's when I started to get kind of into the security world I guess a little bit um, I was I was scanning the network being a bad person and I found an HP laser jet that was shared from Virginia and I'm in Augusta so I uh, I immediately called the knock and let them know that you know, their HP laser jet is on the network, and they, they literally said, we're unhackable, we're the knock. So I installed the printer and started printing out War and Peace. Um, I got yelled at because I burned through, like, five reams <laughs> of paper. Um, from there, I uh, was let go, not because of that incident, but because they, uh, <laughs> they pulled the contract. Um, and they offered me to be an AOL technical support. I, I declined that offer. Um and then I couldn't find a job to save my life. Um, everyone was like, you know, you, you really just have this help deck experience. You don't have any certifications. So I went and got my A+, plus, um, came back, and then they said, oh, you're overqualified. Uh, we, you know, we don't think you're going to stay around. So I uh, actually became an EMT for a while. Uh, half my family's really in the medical sector. So I was like, you know what? I can do this. Um, I destroyed my back over the course of, of a couple of days it was just really hard things happening and um off duty I, I had to pull something out of a car and um at that point i like ripped everything in my lower back and it took a long time before that uh got healed and while i was laying on the bed doing nothing for months at a time a friend of mine came to me and he was like hey my boss he you know he does computer stuff and he will hire you straight out the gate just go talk to him so i i did that and from there, I was probably in my 20s, 24 or so, and I worked at a, a private school, kind of like a block time situation where I went out there and I did all the IT stuff. And I'd say, if you ever want to really get good at security, just go manage a school. Those kids find everything. I mean, I had uh, <laughs> like Windows XP, you know, the messaging service, right? They were sending messages to each yeah. other through the computer, and I'm like... Okay, so I disabled that, and then someone found how to do, like, a blue screen. Someone installed Sub-7. I don't know how they even got that in, and they installed that, which is, like, a remote access Trojan of Doom there. And 
So anyway, um, after about eight years there, I got really bored. I kind of just automated everything. I got really into Linux and a lot of programming. And um, I, I told my boss, I was like, dude, I'm playing Minecraft every day. And there's only so much Minecraft you can play. Um, so he was... That's actually good to hear. That's good to hear that there's only there is. so much. I, I haven't found it eventually... yet, but I'm getting close. Um, I was going to say, because that my kids will be then, they'll, they'll be good on that at least. Okay, so there is yeah, an supposedly. So I, anyway, so I, I uh, you know, I got my college degree because I was one of those people who didn't go to college. I thought it was a waste of time. Um, so I got a college degree, and from there I worked at the National Wild Turkey Federation, um, which is not a government job. You would think with the name that it was, and I was very disappointed to find out it's a nonprofit, which means they could not pay me near what I was worth. But it was really kind of fun. The guy, uh, my director, uh, Greg, he was awesome. He, um, when, when I first came in to the interview, he shows me the server room, and he's like, as soon as we walk in, he's like, I'm embarrassed by this. Don't look behind the rack. So I go and look, and there's like a spaghetti <laughs> monster of doom. And so uh, we were outsourcing like everything. Um, we're paying over like two thousand dollars in hosting fees to this company who owned all the code for our software for our website stuff. And I was like, we can we can do this, dude. Like we've we've got the people. Um, so we built like a web team and put things on the internet. And the minute you do that, of course. Um, nefarious people start knocking at the door. I got back into security. <laughs> well, Philip, hang on. First principles, what does the National Wild Turkey Federation do? What's its I'm mission? I'm guessing it's not to do with uh, with the famous uh, fabulous drink. No, no, but they are a partner. Um, and uh, if you go to the conventions, a lot of times go. they have a stand which has free samples. Um, I wasn't allowed to partake, but... Um, yeah, so they uh, they started with only, uh, I think it was like 1970s, there were around um, 3,000 wild turkeys left in the United States. Um, and they were on the endangered species list. And so they activated the, the charters. They started getting a lot of people to donate. Um, a lot of conservationists are hunters. So they started, you know, asking hunters for, you know, membership fees, which went toward foundations to help the birds. Um, the other half of the organization is land conservation and management. Um, the government actually, they work with the uh, U.S. Forestry Service a lot to make uh, habitat and stuff for the turkeys, which happens to be habitat for everyone else. So really great mission. Uh, turkeys now are at all-time high numbers, uh, brought them back from the extinction list. It's one of the best success stories you can get into. It's really cool. So I see the spaghetti monster back there, and we... Um, you know, we, we went in there, we rewired everything and writing a lot of code and getting stuff online. And the minute we started doing that, you know, like um, we're getting a lot of just WordPress stuff, you know, people looking for, for that kind of thing. Um, also, they were, um, let's see, they, uh, we got a whole bunch of Russian activity for a while. It was great. Because um, uh, when this happened, you know, we, the whole Russian collusion thing came in and my boss, I was like, okay, we got to geo-block um, a couple countries here. We, I mean, we don't do business with North Korea. We don't do business with Russia. We're, we're a U.S.-only company. Do you mind if I go ahead and geo-block it? And he was like, like, the Russians are coming? And I was like, hold on. I mean, this isn't Red Dawn, okay? But um, the, these are these are the real Russians. Awesome. And, and he was like, oh, well, sure, let's go ahead and block them. So we blocked everybody, and um, 
of course, then everyone just went and bought boxes on Amazon and started doing the same activity. So it's not like it really did much, but um, so it got into the cyber part kind of there and doing a lot of code development and stuff. And I had the opportunity to work at ICE. Um, one of the one of the kids that I uh, helped teach uh, through advanced computers, he um, he was like hooked by the bug it, it's bad like he he started programming he stayed with me after school every day for an hour for me to teach him like everything i knew about linux and everything else and we had you know taught him a lot and then he goes on to be cybersecurity at the intercontinental exchange and then later on i called and was like hey i'm, I'm really kind of bored where i'm at i need something to, to challenge me a little more and he was like it's funny you know we have an opening so i went in that was one of the most grueling uh, interviews I've, I've, I've ever had. That was seven interviews. There were like phone calls, you go in, and then there's the lightning round of interviews where you come in, there's this big giant wall of whiteboards, and they're like, okay, design this network with these things. Go. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, all right, what, what side of notation is that? And <laughs> I looked at him after about four hours of this, and I was like, I gotta use my phone. I'm sorry. I can't do subnetting in my head today. And he looks at me and uh, <laughs> he looks at me and he says, you know, when I took my CCNA, I wasn't allowed to, uh, to use a calculator. And, and just stared at me. And I was like, wow. <laughs> well, I'm not getting hired. Okay. And he's like, but if you need your phone, you go ahead and you use your phone. And I was like, oh, oh okay. So I whip out the phone and I use it and I got my side of notations. And after I got hired... Uh, about a week and a half later, we're all eating pizza, doing like a "Hey, Phil got hired" thing, and you know, team building thing. And I was telling everyone about the grueling interview this man put me through, who was my manager, right? Um, and he, everyone's dying laughing, him especially. And I'm like, that wasn't funny, dude. Like, literally, I was about to move three and a half hours for this job. I, I had everything lined up, and you go and pull that on me. He goes, no, it's funny because I failed the test. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> so, that's awesome. you know, from there, I was at ICE for a good while. Um, learned a lot, kind of cut my teeth in that sock. And from there, um, moved on. And now I'm at CompuQuip. Now that I burned like 30 hours of, of talking. So, sorry for that. <laughs> no, it's like, listen, you've been all so over the place. You've done a lot of interesting things. Jack, what do you got, man? Yeah, what do you what do you do now? Just give us a snapshot of what a typical day is like, or a oh boy, it's from, you know. great timing actually. We just had a couple of fire drills, so um, right now you know we run a managed sock. So a lot of uh, customers of ours, we basically we run their seam, we we monitor things, we handle and triage a lot of the alerts. Right now we've got over twenty customers that we do that for. Um, so a lot of my day starts with like metric look at, uh, just basically look at some dashboards, kind of find out what kind of bad stuff's going on. You know, is there any uh, emerging threat or anything? Um, good example is actually last night, uh, one of our clients is a very tuned environment. Uh, they only have around three to four alerts a day. And then suddenly at seven o'clock we have 80. So, you know, we... And then it's like, you know, administrator impersonations and lateral movement all over the network. And I'm like, this is bad. This is like there's a service account who's logging in as an admin. And all of a sudden he's on 55 assets. 
and we we are all going to run we're doing all this stuff we've called the poor guy who's on call and he's like i was eating dinner but i guess i'll go back to the office uh and we're like you know doing all the triage and everything we can and like no one knows what's going on and we're, we're i'm like i think we might need to start changing some passwords here you know we need to start locking this down a little bit and especially because you guys say that you have nothing going on he's like no nothing is going on we have a change window later but not today and i'm like did someone jump the gun and he's like no no and then uh three hours later we finally got the guy who like knows everything you know that one every every organization has that one guy who knows like everything right he's like a robot that's jack yeah <laughs> that's jack he knows everything so he gets on the phone and he's like oh we changed all the vdi environment like everything at seven o'clock today and i'm like oh well well that explains everything we're seeing um He's like, yeah, one of the admins is updating a, a thing, so he's running a script that might log in as him. And I'm like, oh, well, next time could you uh, maybe give us an email wow. or something beforehand? Um, but, I mean, you know, at the same time, I, I don't get upset at those. Uh, they're great practice. I would rather it be, uh, you know, something yeah. that is totally plausible and unexplainable versus an actual attack. So they're, they're good practice runs. Um so you know we do things you, like you that. Bet you'd rather be wrong twice, right? Exactly. Than miss than miss something because you're afraid to pull the switch. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, you know, it's funny. We just we have a a newer guy on the team, and he was the one who I, I you know I sent a message and I was like, I need you to go ahead and call the person on call because um, he was the one on call that night anyway. And uh, so afterwards he was like, Did I do the wrong thing? I'm like, No, no, you never did the wrong thing. Like like when you see a customer who has two to three alerts a day. And all of a sudden they go to 80. You absolutely did right. You know, I would rather go through a hundred false drills than miss one. So yeah, that's a that's when you have a pizza party for that employee. Did you? Yeah, I bought him lunch. You did the right <laughs> thing. Yeah, exactly. Buy him lunch. Just a good job. Everything's great. Um, yeah. So along those lines, have you ever encountered some? I mean, that I think that's an excellent. That's a, that's the right practice, right? You know, you want. Uh, you ever run into a place where uh, you do that and somebody gets. And, and you, you know, the corporate culture is is that oh you, you screwed up we're going to jump all over you and you, and you get it wrong, um, because that seems to me that's like that's the worst of everything. You want your security team to to phone you in the middle of the night regardless of what it is, not be afraid to phone. I can honestly say I've not had that happen, um, which is which is yeah. good. Um, and most people, you know, they they understand the way we frame everything is we're a partnership. You know, we we are their seam and everything, and we're kind of the experts. But they have their security team too, right? So, and they know their environment way better than we will. Uh, eventually, over time, yes, we get to where we really learn it and we know everything about it. We have, you know, we have lots of documentation on normal things and whatnot. But I've yet to have someone, you know, how dare you call me? You know, <laughs> I was in the middle. Who are exactly. you, sir, to call you me? You wounded me deeply. Um, yeah. So, no. Luckily, I've not had any of that. Um, what is it? So, if you spend a lot of time in a sock or somewhere where you can get a call from someone in a sock, what do you do to relax? What do you do outside of the office? I'm moving to Tennessee. I have a large amount of acreage there. Um, there is fiber optic to my house. It's like literally right outside. It's one gig fiber. Um, but when I want to, when I want to truly relax, I just unplug. Nice. Right. I, I, I turn off the com I don't turn off the computer, but I turn off my monitors, walk away um, and just go spend time with my family. Sometimes my dad and I will go shooting. 
Um, sometimes we'll go play disc golf. Um, I'm really big into frisbee golf as much as we hate using that term. That's probably the best way to describe <laughs> it. Um, you know, so just do things away from the machine. My eyes get burned in enough with these screens, so it's good to get out and uh, do stuff. We heard that you like to build things too, not just on computer side, but also sort of larger pieces of you know, you know, uh, grills and whatnot. What are some projects that you've worked on that are kind of cool? So um, with that, with, you know, when I was working at that school um, uh, during the summer. I would go there for a couple hours, and then on the way back, there was this metal shop, and they used to redo construction equipment, uh, you know, big earth movers and backhoes and stuff like that. And a friend of mine worked there. Uh, he's also a computer guy, and he was like, you need to come out here because it's really cool stuff. Like, we're working on a howitzer today. <laughs> I'm sorry. How did we go from a how did we go from a bulldozer to a howitzer? And he's like, I have my arm. My whole arm. It's in this howitzer. And I was like, you're kidding me. And he says, no, we got it from Fort Gordon. They gave it to us. Um, we Our job is to demilitarize it. We have to take the firing pin out. We have to pull the barrel full of lead. We have to do all these things and weld all the things shut so that nothing moves. We're going to spray paint it uh you know, OD green, and then they're going to put it in this town called Grovetown, uh, right in one of their veteran memorial spots. And I was like, so you're working on a howitzer? And he's like, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. You should come out. So, so I come out, and, you know, mainly it was a lot of working on things that are not howitzers. Um, but then uh, <laughs> these guys started finding these Porsches, these, like, 1960s Porsches, um, the 356 Porsche and they they would come out there with like you know Swiss cheese because they're full of holes from all the rust and we would restore them um you know cut out the bottom of them and rebuild them and um and paint them and you know these cars they go and win a couple car shows and the guys would sell them for you know a million dollars and they only have about you know fifty thousand dollars in them so I got to work on those got to work on the first Porsche in the United States to have an electric sunroof um, the sunroof was shipped in the car in the trunk. The dealership had to put it in because that way Porsche themselves was not liable if it were to leak during the, the boat ride over. Wow. Um, I got to I got to learn how to paint cars. I got to learn how to weld and all these different things. That was that was really fun. It was great and satisfying to work with your hands because. If I look at someone and say, you know, I've rebuilt the TCP IP stack of a Windows server, they have no idea what I did. <laughs> but if I hand them a hunk of metal or a grill or something, I'm like, I made that. Unga bunga, I made that, you know? And wow. anyone. Hey, or you come screeching into the parking lot. Right. Well, I don't have a Porsche. But uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I, I built that. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I mean, now it's funny. Like, I uh, repainted the. I had a Miata and I had, um, I, you know, I souped it up and. And all that stuff and one of the guys who owned the porsches they bought the wrong paint color so they just wrote it off and they were like well wrong paint color and i was like i need a paint job wow. right so you know the guy was like well you need to learn how to paint cars might as well learn on yours <laughs> so three weeks later i had a ten thousand dollar paint job because it had real metal silver flake in it like there were little bits of silver in this paint and it was gorgeous and the guy came and he's like is that my paint I was like, no, absolutely not. Not your paint at all. <laughs> I was like, that's, that's a whole not different color. Close. And he not was like, that's close. not a different color. That's right. So I parked my Miata next to his Porsche, and they were completely different colors. But that's how 
much the color was off. It was not off a whole lot from a distance, but if you got it right next to the other one, you could tell. It's the silver flakes in there that, that make it radar right, reflective. Well, it's like stealth technology. <laughs> little pieces of carbon fiber, too. It would be great. That's and I right. put stickers on it, which automatically gave it you know more horsepower, and it's faster. Conventional wisdom is if someone asks you what kind of Porsche you should get, the answer is a Miata and an F-150. Yes. That's the yes. correct answer because they're just yes, it's a actually, lot more fun to have those two yeah, cars. Yeah, I just um, my last I had a Miata um, a long time ago and I got rid of it when I had a child because uh, it's only got a two seats and I can't you know yeah. not gonna put myself in the trunk. Um, so then later on uh, I got another Miata I got out of 2019. Nice. Um, you know my daughter's like seven at the time and so she loved the car it was fun. And I got rid of it this year, uh, traded it into a, I got a truck. And a buddy of mine was like, why? Well, you're moving to Tennessee. Well, exactly. He was like, but still, he was like, why? Why would you get rid of your, 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 you know, your your favorite car? And I was like, you know, I'm at the stage in my life where I need to move something a lot more than I need to go zero to 60 in three seconds. I, I just, I don't need to go fast anymore. I just need to be able to, to go pick up something like you know more than one bag of groceries because that's about all you can fit in a miata <laughs> um so you know if i need to go somewhere and pick something up i i have a truck now it, don't, don't worry eventually you'll get you'll end up looking like me and you'll be driving around in a minivan it just happens oh. i used to be cool i think the minivan is the it's typically the objective correct answer for almost every circumstance it's the right car for everyone to buy but it's a good example of because that's true and no one's not every single one of us is driving a minivan it's an example for how people don't always take the right advice if that were the case we'd all be minivans that's true so phil what would be the if we had to give out the the one bit of advice what would uh, uh to our 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 extensive listener base uh you know what would be the the bit of advice that you would offer to someone who wants to get into the field of cyber don't be afraid to break something. Try. Uh, you know, I've I've learned far more by breaking things and having to fix it than I've ever have uh, reading books or talking to people. Um, that's that's definitely right up there as far as you know. Those are things that are really important. Is, is the determination. Uh, I saw it a lot of times when I was a teacher. You know, you, you talk to a kid and you're like, hey, you know, they're like, hey, I, I want to do this, and I'm like, well, what have you tried? And they're like, oh, I haven't tried anything. I just raised my hand to ask you the question. And I was like, well, try something first. You know, you, you might learn something. Just try it. And if you fail, it's okay. That's your first attempt in learning. Philip, how has it been now that you're, you're a SOC manager now and you have folks who, you know, call you if things need to be escalated, but you've had other roles in your, in, in your career. How is it to be a manager? You know, what prepared you for that? You know, what advice would you give to folks who are looking to, to become management in this space? Take note of what your manager does. Learn from your previous people. I've, I've had really great managers, and I've had a few really bad managers. Um, and, you know, it, it's good to, to look back at all those and remember where you came from. Um, and, you know, I don't really... I mean, I am a manager, yes, but I don't consider myself that. I imagine myself as one of the guys or gals. You know, we're, we're all part of the group. We're all here for the same objective. Um, I kind of manage everyone as though they are a peer 
because I don't feel that, you know, while I may have gotten some more knowledge about one thing, um, they might know something that I don't. Everyone has different experiences and gets further in life different ways. Um, and everyone has a different point of view. So, you know, I, I, I typically I, I try to listen and watch and just kind of, like I said, everyone's kind of a peer. Um, and look and, and learn and remember what great managers did and look at what bad managers did and go, okay, you know, I'm going to try not to do that. So imagine you've seen a lot of things come across your your desk in the days. What are some uh, of the either the least or sort of maybe most impressive phishing emails that you've come across? So we had one um, at ICE that was amazing. Um, there were probably at the time, there were like 35, 40 people in the sock uh, at, at that one physical location that we had multiple socks. Um, but this one comes through and it was crafted so well because uh, it was written like a normal um like a normal reply chain is like they went back and did all the indentions and everything all the way down um and basically had this whole fake conversation with like the head of hr about bringing (laughs) this unique marketing opportunity to where we could all because we were people of ice we could go to this special marketplace to get discounts on things and it was so good that half the sock was arguing over the fact that it was legit. <laughs> and and Jerry, who is the CISO um, over there, he's a genius, by the way. He truly is. That man is a robot. I don't know how he does what he does, but he's <laughs> awesome. Um, he comes in from lunch, and he's like, so what do we think about this phishing email? It's pretty good. And I was like, so, so are you team fish or are you team legit? And he was like, why don't we just call the HR person? Yes. And, and it was, everyone's like, well, well, now you're taking the fun out of it. I mean, that's, <laughs> you know, um, that was probably one of the best ones. That's awesome. One of the, one of the worst ones I've seen. I mean, I got to hand it to him for creativity. Um, was, it wasn't, I don't even know if it qualifies as a fish. Somebody sent a $1 trillion mark from the Bank of Kenya <laughs> to an office and then asked if they could set up a wire transfer to withdraw their money. They were hoping that we were going to deposit this. By the way, it looks like it was made out of tinfoil and saran wrap, right? This $1 trillion denotation from the from the bank of Kenya, you know, and we're going to immediately create an account for them. And then how do we transfer this money out? It's like, wait a minute now. Come on. Seriously. Go big or go home. I like right? It. I true. guess maybe. I mean, like I said, it's just, I mean, the gumption is, is, is well worth it. Shoot your shot, right? That's exactly. That's <laughs> it. Exactly. What? What? I just to kind of just to wrap things up in terms of what you do. We've talked about the sock. We've talked a little bit about the MSSP sides. But can you just kind of summarize for us what managed security services are? Like, what is that as a, as a service? What is that as a career? What is managed security services, and why should you know somebody who maybe not involved in this field care about it? So it's one of those situations where we we offer a wide array of services. We offer pen testing. We offer um, you know vulnerability management. We offer the SOC side. We do all of those things. Um, if you're in cyber and you want to get into it, I'll explain why you probably want to. And I I say this in every interview uh, I get because people ask me like why should I you know what are some of the cool things about your company? 
we manage over 20 to over 20 different environments completely different environments um you will never get the exposure to different environments than you will working from mssp um you know we hand we've seen pretty much everything i've seen people who when they onboarded they had 2000 accounts that never expire on passwords Ooh. and i've had some that were so you know so hardened you had to jump through like five different jump boxes just to get into something um and everything in between so it's it's really cool to look at it from that perspective as far as like someone why you would want to hire us kind of thing um i go back to greg warner who was uh, my director at the national Wild turkey federation he was uh he was really big he was like you know let's let's get a pen test going um i want to do a pen test and i was like dude i can do this yeah. and, and he looks at me and he, he said one of the most genius things he was like but you don't know what you don't know <laughs> and i was like okay and he's like let's hire someone who like they do this for a living that's the, all they think about, and they probably will do a better job. And he was right. Do you have a feeling now on on, on turkeys? I mean, do you do you still eat turkeys after having worked there? I, I do. You know, it's funny. I actually have pet chickens. Um, I have I have about thirty chickens right now. Um, I can't have any roosters until I move to Tennessee because. <laughs> Uh, I mean, we already know what happens with dogs, right? Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, yeah. they don't like you know, they don't like dogs barking. They definitely won't like turk, uh, roosters and whatnot. But you know, I I'm okay with it because they're not my chickens. They're not my turkeys. I'm okay with that. You know, um, it's, it's it's totally fine because they're not mine. And it's conservation and it's management as well, right? Yeah, That's definitely. Well, thank you so much, Philip. After a short break. We're going to return with Ernie's Lifestyle Polygraph. Stay with us. You are listening to the No Password Required Podcast. We cover cybersecurity and a lot of other stuff. All right. Welcome back. Philip, are you ready for the Lifestyle Polygraph? I am ready for the Lifestyle Polygraph. Yes, and for those that don't know what the Lifestyle Polygraph is, it's a series of questions, five questions, uh, designed to probe the inner depths and inner workings of your mind, sir, so that we can get a better understanding of who you are. And some of these may or may not be related uh, to cybersecurity. So here we go. First one, we've already determined that you are an animal lover. You enjoy animals. You have, uh, you have chickens, no roosters, but you also have dogs. So as an animal lover, and which you have both here, which would make a better cybersecurity professional, a chicken or a dog? A chicken or a dog? Man, that's difficult. I'm not going to lie. That's hard. Um, chickens are, are very curious creatures. They're kind of like cats with wings. They go around. They look at everything. They, they're really kind of cautious at first, but then they like slowly come into something. Um, dogs, on the other hand, I've got I've got a couple of really smart dogs who are just geniuses. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm going to have to go with the chicken. Um, the, the chicken, chicken. And, and I say that because I've seen like videos of a chicken take out a hawk who was protecting its young. So, I mean, and, and dogs are ferocious when they want to be. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, you go from Siberian wolf to Chihuahua. Nothing against Chihuahuas per se, other than I think that, you know, their skin's a little too tight. That's why the eyes are bulging. But, um, but you know, 
Uh, it's got to go with the chicken. No, chickens also, the things that come out of a chicken's body, you can eat. Yes. That's not the case for a dog. Not mine, anyway. We, we have a, a great dog. We welcomed a pandemic dog, and she is a, a great guard dog, and she'll bark when there's someone or something outside the house. The problem is she also barks when there's no one outside the house. So you can't tell the distinction between the two things. So I don't know if she were a cybersecurity professional. I think she'd be crying too much wolf, even under yeah. the scenarios we discussed. Yeah, mine, mine have a, a problem. Too, too many false positives. Yeah, mine have a problem with sketchy leaves. Uh, if a leaf falls just right, it's <laughs> it's it's a thing. They and one, you know, there's one who calls the other four. All right, so he's like, you know, he goes outside and he's he'll stop and like look up at the at the door and he's like, and then the rest of them are like, oh, oh, we're going to, okay, let's go, and they all go nuts. So yeah, I get it. <laughs> I guess where I'm, where I think we're going with this is, I think you need to just, you know, swap out the dogs for the chickens, and let the chickens roam around inside your house. If they were litter trained, I would totally do that. Um, my yeah. wife actually looked into getting diapers. I'm just, I'm not doing that. There's a line, and that's the line right there for me. I would agree. <laughs> There's a business um, idea. There's a business idea out there, there, Ernie. There is. There is. You know, somebody's got to come up with that. And I, I imagine we can probably run the gamut of uh, large to small birds. Quail diapers, right? Um, yeah, ostrich. I, I mean, down here we got the. Um, yeah, I mean something like that. You could probably use a full size adult diaper as your prototype. I mean, you know, I don't even think you have to do too much. Uh, now that said, I don't know how you would uh, go about uh, getting those on said uh, said creatures because I imagine they'd be pretty. Uh, you, have pretty to, you have to train the dogs. Stuff. You got to train the dogs to put the diapers on the chicken. That's right. I just don't think I'm going to be able to go up to an emu and say, okay, lie down. Um, <laughs> All right. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> That's a tough segue. Um, what is more satisfying to work with, a keyboard or a blowtorch? Really depends on the mood. Um, if I'm programming, <laughs> and I mean blowtorch, not not necessarily on right, person. right, okay, yeah, no, no mafia, mafia things here. going. No, um, yeah. I mean, I, I will say if like I have I have a keyboard that's got blue switches, and I have I listen to a lot of techno as, as most of programmers probably do, and I, when you're banging out code, it, it feels really satisfying. But at the same time, there is nothing better than hitting a blowtorch on a piece of metal and watching it just turn into water and like fall down. I got a funny story actually. A friend of mine, he was. Uh, we were working on cutting out this gigantic piece of, of metal. It was like a four by eight sheet, and he was just cutting away. And I was uh, somewhere else in the shop. I wasn't too far away. And he was like, "Hey Phil, am I on fire?" And I looked down, and his shoelaces had caught fire. He didn't even stop. He just kept going. So I, I, I just grabbed a squirt bottle and just squirted out his shoes. I was like, "Yep, but you're good now." And he's like, "Okay, great." And he just kept going. It was a it was hilarious because he just did not care. He just kept going. I was, I was like, at some point, man. I mean, Georgia Heat, blowtorches. It's, it's. No, I, I, I would have called it right there. <laughs> like I'm done. You know, that's one of those. You usually don't hear that type of, uh, that discussion on the sock floor. Right. <laughs> hey, hey, Phil, am I on fire? <laughs> All right, here we go. Number three. Number three. If you were hired as the CISO for the Empire. The Empire, as in the one that strikes back. Which cybersecurity policies would you implement first? Bear in mind, bear in mind that I'd say the original Star Wars uh, trilogy 
episodes four, five, and six uh, have a and an, to to a certain extent uh, the Rogue One prequel have a big cybersecurity uh, theme running through it. I'll just leave it at that. Well, I think probably data loss protection because Bam. because the rebels they always knew what was going on. They had the blueprints <laughs> to the Death Star. They knew about the exhaust ports, um, which, I mean, when a guy is using space wizardry to, sh- to change the trajectory of, of a photon torpedo down, straight down an exhaust port, the exhaust port blows out. So why is it being sucked? In? I don't get it. Um, but anyway, they always seem to know what's going on. Like, they've, they've got so many spies and insiders, it's just... It's just crazy. It's governing at a distance, <clears throat> but it's also they rely on forced labor and slave labor, and that's just never a way to do no. it. It's a, it's an extreme example of why happy employees are less likely to be insider threats. That's that right. Listen to those workplace surveys. Exactly. That that is a very good. Point. You know that's that, and I I wonder about that. I guarantee you they didn't they didn't have that. Uh, they certainly didn't have a what kind uh, of pension plan. Did you know, they have? The, that's right. Well, that's right. What's the Empire's ombuds with their with their ombudsman's thing? You know, hey, listen, I got a couple of grievances I'd like to talk to you about. Uh, you know, apparently Lord Vader came in the other day. Uh, I was hurt by his words, and then he also killed the right. Emperor, he just uh, in front of force me. choked him right there. You know, yeah. And it, I, uh, for something that I felt was not as and important, that always goes back to don't talk about religion. See, that's what <laughs> yes. happened. Yep, yep. That's exactly correct. Yeah, that's right. Because, you know, if that happens, you get somebody, they're going to, uh, you know, their lack of faith, it would be destroyed, right? <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a safe place to make mistakes. No. Yeah. No. 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 Like we talked about before, yeah, you wouldn't want that. Because if you want to get into the field of cybersecurity, you want a place to, hey, you know, challenge yourself. Go ahead. Don't, you can't be afraid to break things. Not, not, in, not, not in the empire, baby. <laughs> well, in this case, you're talking about breaking something the size of a moon. Um. <laughs> yes. That's what, but that's no moon. That's no moon. Here we go. Number four. You've described negotiation as one of your key strengths. Have you ever seen a negotiation in a movie and said they're doing that all wrong? Well, normally because they negotiate. Um, <laughs> you know, a lot of times those movies are like, uh, you know, hey, uh, if you give me a like like a good example is, hey, you give me a give me a Bitcoin. I promise I'll give you three. Or uh, I have all your data. If you give me five hundred thousand dollars, then I guarantee that I'll give this back. You know, um, my family's got a, a lot of military history. Um, my grandfather taught me something when I was really young. This is gonna sound horrible at first, but let me explain the whole thing. So he was like, "If you ever get taken hostage, you need to just become dead weight and fall." And I was like okay why i mean don't want to fight back he's like no no no. if you become dead weight the guy's already got one hand taken up by the gun so he can't really hold you when you've got one hand on you you're going to be dead weight you're going to fall to the ground and i was like oh okay and he's like and and you understand this right i was like yeah he goes good because i'll shoot you to get to him and i just sat there and was like i'm sorry what And, and and he's like look if if he will shoot you in front of me He'll definitely do it six miles down the road. So, uh, taking that same lesson and applying it to to negotiations in the cyber, right? Um, 
when you're talking about that kind of stuff, a lot of times, if you negotiate, you're showing weakness. I, there have been times, don't get me wrong, there's been many a times where, you know, you do pay the ransomware people and honor amongst thieves or whatever, they'll actually give you the keys back and you can decrypt your data and, you know, you move on with life, but they're going to come back. All you're doing is encouraging it. You're, you're simply feeding the bears. So with that, you know, on the security side, definitely. Now, as far as, like, negotiations with vendors and stuff, be nice to your vendors. I've, I've seen people who are just flat-out horrible with a vendor who, like, I'm not kidding you, made one vendor cry, and they quit that day. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was a thing. It was horrible. Um, and, and luckily, peer pressure won on that one. We got him to where he's a lot better. But, um, you know at the end of the day they're just trying to give you a product can they make it cheaper probably but um at the same time you know you gotta think about it from your perspective so it's a it's a give and take thing uh, if, try to do the compliment sandwich say something nice say something mean and then follow it up with something nice and that way at least you're ending on a good note and on a good note number five here it is i think we may know the answer for this but we're gonna throw it out there anyway better way to recharge your batteries a museum nature or a nature museum they have a nature museum at the turkey federation by the way bam they, thank you very much perfect. ladies and gentlemen <laughs> you, they even have a whole helicopter in the museum you can sit in the helicopter um what what i'm gonna spend what? so much time on the internet looking at this now i'm like I have my whole evening they have playing. animatronics so cool. they have everything there they have the oldest the oldest turkey uh, turkey call by the Native Americans. They have everything there. I got to work on some of the animatronics. It's great. Um, we got to do cool. change out an animatronic turkey. No, That's they awesome. do have a. They have people. They actually have. Um, they have. Oh, it's like the Hall of Presidents. Yes, it is. It, tur- turkey it really is. There's even like a rap song when you walk into one of the spots. If you stand there, they they do this like get your call on rap. It's it's hilarious. <laughs> the first time you hear it, the second time you hear it, you you just want to die. Um, but uh, <laughs> what rhymes with turkey? Blurkey. <laughs> Yorkie. Yorkie. Yes, you have to go from turkeys to dogs. Again, we're at that famous fowl or or, or canine. Which is better? Um, I heard a rumor that Ben Franklin wanted the sort of symbol of America not to be the eagle, but to be the that's turkey. That's correct. Yeah, because okay. they, they're indigenous only to the U.S. Um, there's five different, six different species of turkeys, five of which are wild. There's one that is the domesticated turkey, who is solid white. Uh, wild turkeys... They, they can be flat-out mean. They have giant spurs on the back of them. Uh, you can have... And they, they, like, imprint on people, and they like you. Kind of, you know, if, if you raise them, they'll be friends with you, and they'll attack anyone who comes near you. It's... I'm telling you, there's there's a whole thing you can Dude, do. Dude, I'm getting a turkey. I'm thinking this is this is a whole thing. I, I'll, I, go, you know, I'll go half on that, Ernie. We'll split I think I, of the I, eggs. I think we should get one for the show. Yeah. yeah. And they lay eggs. Yeah. Really. I, I don't know. I guess I, I knew that, right? They're birds. I mean, that's part of the you know high school or, or you know elementary school, you know science course. Birds lay eggs. Never had a turkey egg. I don't, I don't you know. Never had one. Whole life. Never well, an ostrich egg. egg is equivalent to like thirteen normal eggs. 
I, I think we're really covering a lot of ground here. We've, we've, we've. Uh, this is really turning out to be the, you know, I think I don't know if we can call it the poultry episode, the fowl episode, uh, or what. But we've really, I, I think we've got a lot, a, a lot to go. And I, I don't know about you, uh, Jack, but I've really, um, I'm, I'm falling almost squarely in the Ben Franklin camp on this one. And, and uh, you know, let's nominate the turkey for, uh, for the national bird, if not the national bird. At least uh, the sponsor and uh, mascot for uh, for the podcast, because from what I can gather, the turkey smart, angry, and loyal. It's just like our show. <laughs> Perfect. All right. So I think we're uh, at a point where we're going to have to uh, transition because we got a really great segment coming up next. Philip, you know, thank you very much for joining us. If our listeners would like to connect with you, how can they do that? Uh, they can go to CompuEquip.com. Um, we have a contact us there. They could also, I uh, think, emails are on there as well. Oh, great. And so anything up, uh, what's next for you? Anything big coming up in your life, or, aside from the move uh, on the professional side, that you want to share with everybody? No, I, I, you know, like I said, uh, with us being able to touch so many environments and stuff, one of my biggest problems I've always had is I get bored. Um, but when you've got 20-plus environments and more on the way, I don't think I'm going to get bored for a good while. So... I think I'm just going to stay where I'm at for a good while, be happy. Um, we've got a great group of people who work, who I work for and also who work for me. All right. So coming up next, we've got Pablo Torres, who will for the first time consider two candidates for the same role in our fictitious cybersecurity organization. You know them and love them. It's Scooby-Doo and Velma, two members of the Mystery Incorporated gang. Which one of these crime-fighting slews will be a right fit for our organization? Stick around and find out. There's a place for everyone in the world of cybersecurity, and Pablo Torres plans to prove it. Welcome to Positively Cyber. Okay, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Pablo Torres. Welcome to Positively Cyber. I'm your host, Pablo Torres. When assembling a first-rate cybersecurity organization that is ready at a moment's notice to defend against any threat, we quite frequently come across some very arduous deliberation when choosing the best candidate for a role. Up to now, this has been the commonality, in which we will now dissect to the root. How do we alleviate this current friction within our onboarding process, and how can we establish a consistent baseline that will exemplify the excellence our firm embodies? What is the way? If there's one thing we have learned so far in the process of building our organization, it is that every candidate has their own unique set of skills that enables them to succeed in their respective positions. No two candidates are exactly alike, and that is one reason why the role of human resources is so critically crucial as we continue to organically mature our impenetrable team. In today's episode, we will be juxtaposing two great candidates for the role of head executive of human resources. One of our candidates can always sniff out the right answer to the most seemingly insurmountable obstacles, while the other candidate subsequently has the brains and the critical thinking skills necessary to methodically conquer even the peskiest of conundrums. That is, unless she loses her glasses. Both candidates share the ability to work efficiently on a team and can confidently step up to the plate when needed. This is an undeniable fact. Nevertheless, each has their own respective strengths and weaknesses that will influence our decision in choosing the best fit for the role, for whom we will lean into with entrusted care and their steadfast stewardship. 
So let us ask ourselves a worthwhile question. How do we know? And as the saying, if you know, you know the right thing to know? It is important for us to note that the commitment to exceed and execute is built on top of persistence and discipline. It is discipline that determines one's actions, as well as one's overall degree of integrity and intelligence, which all coincidentally coincides intuitively with one's own volition to embody good. As our organization continues to expand, we have to keep in mind the demands and needs that we have all committed to maintain. For this reason, we are looking towards the right fit to help us continue to thrive. We are looking for the underdog, the leader that will pinpoint the intangibles and source the right woman or man for the job. To say the very least, this is a tough bind and we find ourselves at an impasse, which has us in quite the squeeze. So without further ado, Velma and Scooby-Doo, care to show us what you can do? Velma Dinkley, Jinkies by far the smartest member of Mystery Inc. A group of four young people in their talking Great Dane who solve what they believe to be supernatural cases. Velma is usually the one who unravels the mystery first, thanks to her wide-ranging body of knowledge and superior intellect. Her biggest weakness is that her glasses are forever falling off, and she can barely see without them. Still, her intellectual firepower helps the team much, much more than her nearsightedness hurts it. She is brilliant, modest, and comfortable in her own skin. Velma is all about getting results, and not at all about taking credit. Velma is the unsung hero of Mystery Inc. Notwithstanding, does this equate to her being the best fit for the role? We shall come to find out. Scooby Our heroes do not always come in the most desired or expected shapes, sizes, or breeds. Nevertheless, Heart and overall conviction are truly desirable characteristics of a refined, well-poised, humble leader to drive our organization in the right direction. When looking into the attributes of Scooby-Doo, he offers what we can call the intrinsic value added. Scooby is inherently loyal and his courage does often force him to take a more heroic stand. Scooby-Doo, a lot like his partner in crime, Shaggy, are several degrees of the same entity. They share several personality traits, mostly being cowardly and perpetually hungry. However, is cowardliness and perpetual hunger a bad thing? Does this at all discount the merit that Scooby-Doo brings to the table? No. If anything, this brings him even closer to the core of what we represent. Nothing in life is ever perfect. However, we can most certainly find perfection in all of life's many imperfections. In the same way, the Mystery Inc. Incorporated series rescued the Scooby Empire from the shadowy depths of the 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo disaster. Our four-legged champion will join our agency and be the hero for our team that he has always been within the Mystery Incorporated gang, especially when the gang was in trouble. Scooby, for this reason and your ability to take the shape of a lamppost, flower pot, as well as a park bench, we choose you. One door may be closing with Mystery Inc. However, one door is beginning to open here with us in your new home. Take this kindly, Scooby, and please take it to heart. Focus on what it is that you really want to achieve. Success depends on your attitude, your way of thinking, taking affirmative action, and taking responsibility for the outcomes in your life. Have the desire and intention Make the decision to take action, then do it. 
Take a leap of faith and trust that your inner guidance system will lead you in the right direction. Success is dependent on doing the right thing at the right time. It calls for you to concentrate on what truly matters. As we've seen, Scooby-Doo and countless episodes such as Jeepers, It Is a Creeper, and The Haunted House Hang-Up, the hard work and effort you put towards following your nose and living your life according to your personal truths will fully align you with your mission to be a people leader. With this, you will reap an abundance of Scooby snacks and plenty to maintain and sustain you as you continue along your path. Working persistently and passionately towards your highest goals and aspirations will see you achieving personal fulfillment and success on all levels. It is up to you to do the work needed to achieve our goal on perpetually raising the standard. Therefore, set your goals, make your plan, and persist in the direction of your desires. Have faith in yourself and your abilities to live up to your full potential. Scooby-dooby-doo! Ladies and gentlemen, with that, that, zoinks, that was Pablo Torres. So we're going with uh, Scooby-Doo as, our, as the, uh, the head of HR. You know, I, I'm, I'm liking that. Um, because if there's one thing that, uh, that I know from Scooby-Doo is that uh, he's always able to ferret out the real truth, even though that, per- that the real perpetrator, even though that perpetrator is disguised. So being able to probe the inner depths of that individual during the onboarding or hire, dare I say hiring process, will be able to unmask Mr. Carruthers uh, as the, uh, and I want to say it's always been Mr. Carruthers, uh, was, uh, you know, to quote uh, the Marvel, it's been Agatha all along, it's always Mr. Carruthers, uh, you know, who sets up that, uh, so is, are we talking that he's going to set up that, uh, you know, He's going to bring to life that, that, that ghost story about the haunted mansion to keep people away so that he could collect on the insurance. Um, are we going to be able to figure is, is Scooby going to be able to, to ferret that out in the, in the, in the, uh, in the interview? I, I hope so. Um, I mean, with him joining our fictitious organization, he's definitely dipping into our fictitious budget. And uh, we're, we're certainly allocating a good chunk towards him and his Scooby snacks. So um, I, I really hope he brings it. And um, everything that he's bringing to the table is, is, is more than enough for us to be happy with as, as we continue to grow. Yeah, I, I don't know what, uh, what the market rate for uh, Scooby snacks is. I hope they're not tied to Bitcoin. Um, you like that? I tied that, you know, bring these two together, right? Cryptocurrency and Scooby snacks. Um, they're completely unrelated. Uh, uh, you know, it says here in the in the show notes that to tell us about the original creation of Scooby Doo design and how it relates to his character overall. Oh, um, great so, question! Yeah, that's what? that's some deep thinking. I want to say that uh, that was one of our co-producers, Serena Gandhi's idea. What do you got, Pablo? Probe that. It was interesting digging through information on Scooby Doo on the interwebs was quite fascinating. It was a really interesting learning experience that turned into quite amazing uh, learning experience. And I I say this because Scooby represents the complete opposite of what one would consider the proverbial version of perfection. And for me, learning this, the the, the creator, Takamoto, he went ahead and spoke to world-renowned breeders and asked them, what are the most desirable characteristics of a show class dog a breed and they describe the great dane with all of the, the 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 wanted attributes that that make them show breed show quality pure blood uh, 
however you want to coin it. And he went and took all of that information and completely did the opposite and created a, 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 an, an animal, a character, who represented everything that was totally far and separated from perfection. And, and Scooby, <laughs> <laughs> Scooby is one of the quirkiest and one of the most lovable characters that we have seen within the era of cartoons that, that, that my generation has grown up with and, and certainly other generations before mine. And um, to, to know that this very charismatic and very, very personable individual represents everything but perfection, to me, gives inner me, the younger me, hope that the world isn't as difficult as it needs to be. You don't always have to be perfect, but you can always try your best. And I think trying your best is the least that we can do. Um, and, and Scooby definitely represents that. And I think that's good. I mean, I think Scooby would be a good, uh, a good initial screen for our organization. And uh, I think if we take a page out of, uh, uh, you know, Philip's discussion about not being afraid to fail and break things, hey, we want, we want that. We want that kind of that, uh, we want that that culture of you know be yourself and be be cool and uh, you know and you don't have to be perfect to work here but just keep trying. I, I dig that. I like that. And uh, you know I was thinking a little bit more. Uh, maybe maybe th that uh, it'll be good because instead of Bitcoin for our Scooby snacks, we're going to use uh, uh, what is that the new one that's coming out with a dog on it? Dog <laughs> Dodgy Coin. Dogecoin. <laughs> Dogecoin. Yeah, so we're going to use that. We're going to pay him in that, cause, which is good, because I think that's still down low on the, uh, uh, you know, we can we can still get him for cheap for that one. So, that's good. <laughs> so well, well, everyone, that's what a, we had a really great show today. Uh, that brings us to the end of our program. So, you know, I'd really like to thank you for joining us. First and foremost, I'd like to thank uh, my co-host, Jack Clabby, and Pablo Torres, and also uh, our guest, Philip Tarrant. Um, and uh, I got to tell you, this week's show was really exciting. I had a good time and uh, learned a lot, especially that, uh, you know, the turkey is, could be the, the, the sponsor and uh, mascot animal for all of cybersecurity, if not for the United States of America. And so that said, remember, rate, review, and subscribe to No Password Required Podcast and send your questions and comments to info at nopasswordpodcast.com. I'm Ernie Ferreso. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk soon. Thank you for listening to the No Password Required Podcast. The show is produced by Cyber Florida. A special thanks goes out to our friends at Carlton Fields and Cognizant. If you'd like to learn more about the podcast, visit our website, cyberflorida.org slash pod.